It was in 1633. Galileo had been called to Rome to come to stand trial before the religious authorities. They were trying him on heresy. You see, Galileo had been studying the heavens and he finally had determined that mathematically he could prove that the sun was the center of the universe and that the earth and the stars and the moons all circled around the sun, just as Copernicus had said. But the church did not like that idea. For hundreds and hundreds of years, everybody knew that the earth was the center of the universe, that it was the sun and all of the stars and all the moons that circled around the earth. I mean, after all, we believed God is our creator. He created the heavens and the earth. He created us. We are special. So we are at the center of the universe and everything must revolve around us. Everybody knew that to be true. And now Galileo came out with this whole different idea that he said he could prove. And so he was called to Rome to be tried on heresy. And when he got there, they said, either you recant or we're going to burn you at the stake. Now Galileo was a brilliant man. And served with those options, he said, I recant. I must have made a few mistakes in my calculations. Maybe I was wrong after all. And so he was banished to be under house arrest. He was sent home. He would be there for the next nine years until he died. He would not be able to teach nor publish any of his papers. But he would be able to be there and continue to look into the heavens and make his calculations and write his things down. He just couldn't tell anybody and he could not go publish nor talk. He had to hold it all to himself. Now, of course, we know that Galileo was right. The church was wrong. The sun is the center of the universe and everything does go around it. And the church did apologize in 1992. 350 years after the death of Galileo, the church said, we were wrong. We made a mistake. We didn't handle it right. It took a long time, and it was hard for us to deal with. And I think there's a good reason why. It's because of the struggles we all have, if you think about it. When you know something to be true, it's hard to imagine a different reality. When you are convinced you know something to be right and true, it really is hard to even imagine something being different. It was the struggle of Nicodemus, though he found a way to deal with it. In our scripture lesson this morning, we read about Nicodemus. Now you know you can find Nicodemus three times mentioned in the Bible, all in the book of John. He is mentioned, first of all, in our scripture lesson this morning, how he comes at night in order to talk to Jesus. He's really come to talk about a Messiah and who the Messiah might be and what's really going on here. And there are lots of interesting questions about salvation. He is a Pharisee and he's very well trained in the law and in the beliefs of the faith. And so he comes to talk. We see that one. Secondly, we see Nicodemus when he is with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the ruling body of the religious faith in those days. And he is a member of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is not happy with Jesus and trying to figure out what do we do with this guy. And he speaks up and says, in our faith, don't we believe someone is innocent until we hear him speak? 
Then the third time we hear about Nicodemus is when Jesus has been crucified. It is Nicodemus who goes with Joseph of Arimathea to take the body of Jesus down from the cross. And he then provides the myrrh to properly anoint Jesus' body for burial. What we know from these three glimpses of Nicodemus is we know for sure he was a very learned man. He was a Pharisee. We know he was a powerful man. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. And he must have been a wealthy man to provide the amount of myrrh in order to have burial. Now, what I want us to do this morning is not really get lost in all the theological discussions that are going on here. What I want us to do is I want us to look at what Nicodemus did, how he lived. Because Nicodemus became someone who would move from a man of great questioning and who knew exactly what he believed to someone that the church would call a saint. We have celebrated his birthday and his life for centuries. Churches have been named after him. In fact, even towns have been named after Nicodemus. Did you know that there is a Nicodemus, Kansas? There is. Nicodemus, Kansas. It just so happened that after the Civil War and Reconstruction, there was a group of former slaves in Kentucky who decided they wanted to be born anew born again, to view things in a new way. And so they packed up and left Kentucky and went to Kansas to live in a land that looked very different. And they went around trying to recruit other former slaves to all come together. And it became the first and the largest black colony in the United States after the Civil War. Because they wanted to live inspired by Nicodemus. Someone who was willing to be born anew again. This morning, I want to continue on with the sermon series that the Reverend Wendy Lambert started last week entitled, Something for the First Time. It's actually going to be our theme for the entire year in 2015. It comes from the question, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Because what we find is that sometimes life is sure easy to get into a a rut or a routine and we think the same things and we do things the same way and we may be missing what God is trying to say to us, the life God is trying to lead us into. And so are you willing to do something for the first time, to think about something for the first time in a new way? Because I believe that if you and I will take seriously examining our lives in the light of God's grace, God may have a new truth for us to see things in a new way. Just like Nicodemus, it's what enabled him to be born again. Two things that I want us to see. First of all, Nicodemus winds up saying, how can this be? With an open mind. Nicodemus was willing to have his imagination stretched to look at his world in a new way he could not imagine And yet he would be shocked, how can this be? And yet he would be an open-minded thinker so he could experience a new truth. We know that he was a learned man. And so he comes to Jesus to talk to him. And he's talking about the Christ and, well, what about this? And who could God be doing things? And Jesus said, look, a person cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless they've been born again. What Jesus said is they cannot be born an Eltham. Anotham. 
Anathem is a Greek word that literally means born again or born from above or born anew. It has multiple meanings. Not just one meaning like you and I would have in an English word. We've got to say it's this. And so if you go read different translations of the Bible, some say Jesus said you've got to be born again. Some say you've got to be born from above. Some say you've got to be born anew. It has all these meanings, and saying it to Nicodemus caused him confusion. What is Jesus really saying to me? And so it is, he takes it literally and says, How can a grown man enter his mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus is trying to say, No, 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 this is about a spiritual birth. Something from heaven anew in your heart. And Nicodemus is just confused with all this and goes, How can this be? When you know something to be true, it's hard to imagine something different. Did you know it was on January the 15th, uh, January the 12th, 1915, 100 years ago tomorrow, our legislators were in session up in Congress and they had legislation before them on whether women should be allowed to vote. 100 years ago tomorrow. And they took their vote and they decided no. Women should not be allowed to vote. Now, if you went to those people 100 years later, if we could go back to them and speak to them and say, how could you say this? Women, women should be allowed to vote. Women should be allowed to make a decision. Do they want to stay in the home and raise children? Do they want to go outside of the house and work? And if they go outside of the house and work, shouldn't they be allowed to do whatever they feel called to do by God? And I know it's a really radical idea, but shouldn't they be paid the same as men for doing the same job? And if we went back and said all these things to those legislators a hundred years ago, they would be saying, how can this be? Of course not. We know the truth. We know reality. Women should not vote. They stay home. They raise the children. This is who they are called to be. And yet a hundred years later, we look at it and go, how can they ever think that? There's a different truth. It was 150 years ago, 1865, the Civil War would come to an end. One of the bloodiest wars in the history of our country. Thousands upon thousands of people would be killed. One of the issues, one of the main issues that caused the war was slavery. Is it right for a white man to be able to own black people as property, to have them as slaves? If you went back to speak to the people in those days who were slaveholders, we would say, how can you ever think such a thing, that it's right to treat a person as property, to own someone? And they'd say, but what do you mean? How could this be? Of course there is slavery. There's been slavery from the beginning of time. To imagine something totally different, that all people should be free? You can go back to our Constitution And in our Constitution, our forefathers said, all men are created equal. And that's exactly what they meant. All white men are created equal. It would not be after the Civil War we'd finally start to say, okay, maybe it doesn't mean just all white men. Maybe it can be all men of all colors are equal. But it wouldn't be till the 20th century we'd finally be willing to say, Well, maybe it means all men and women. Maybe all people are equal. 
it seems so clear now. But in that day, it wasn't so clear. But you go all the way back to Jesus. And if you go back to Jesus, it's fascinating to see that he treated people like Nicodemus, a man of wealth, power, knowledge, with respect. And he also did that for women and for children and for Samaritans and foreigners. That Jesus came with a message that said, we are all God's children. And we all deserve to be treated with respect and to be free. He would have said that 2,000 years ago. It's taken us this long to get as far as we are with a different vision of reality and what should be accepted. Are you and I willing to examine our beliefs about religion, about politics, about other races and people? What are we willing to look at? You know, I told you how you know that last week we, we took off some time to go be on vacation. It's hard to have a vacation where you get the whole family together anymore with our son-in-law Andy and Kelly and their four kids just moved to Colorado and our son Paul and Kristen, his two kids down in Temple, Texas. And it's hard to get us together. And this was the one time we thought in 15 we for sure can get the whole family together. And so we decided to go do this and to celebrate um, our anniversary. As you know, it's our 41st wedding anniversary. And also to set it aside and say we're going to celebrate Marsha's birthday. Her birthday didn't happen until April, but this year her birthday has a zero in it. <laughs> and she is very excited about entering her 40s and how good this is going to be. Um, but we decided this would be the family celebration for that big year and those birthdays. And so we all got together up in Colorado and to go play in the snow. And it was so much fun. You know, we, we have two grandchildren, one on for each child, um, who is under two years old. And uh, we were with them, and, and it was so much fun. Cameron, we went out to go build a snowman with he and his sister, Olivia. And we were playing, and to watch him discover the snow. I mean, he'd get out there in the snow, and he'd pick it up. And he had his glove on, and he'd just look at it. And then he'd stick it in his mouth and eat it. And then he'd pick up some more and look at it. And then he'd stick it in his mouth and eat it. We tried to make sure that with snow was always white, wherever he was. Um, but we were out there probably for an hour building a snowman, and he's always just wandering around looking at this stuff and pressing on it and pulling it up and stick it in his mouth. And it made me go back and remember my daughter Kelly when we first moved here to Oklahoma. We came here in 1991. Our son Paul was in the third grade. Kelly was in the fifth grade. They'd been born and raised in Houston all their life. And growing up in Houston, my kids at that age had never seen snow. Never seen snow when we moved to Colorado, to Oklahoma. And, and when we moved up here, it was in June of 1991. It was on Halloween, October the 31st, 1991. We had a big snow. We were in the house getting ready to go out for Halloween, getting all dressed, didn't know it was happening. We opened the door, and there the park and the yard are covered in snow. I'll never forget Kelly. Here she's in the fifth grade. She goes running outside. She picks up the snow, and she has it in her hands. And she looked up at me, and she said... Daddy, it is so different than I imagined it to be. What if in 2015, 
you and I took seriously, we're going to examine our beliefs about reality. Our faith, what we believe all about religion and peoples and politics. We're going to look at the things we believe in the light of God's grace and God's love. Because if we do, we might discover that God has a truth for us that is so different than what we thought it would be. That maybe there is a reality out there that God wants to expand and stretch our imagination. That our life is going to be different than we always thought it would be. But maybe it's still going to be very good. Can you expand your imagination and your vision and let God speak to your heart so that you can be led into a meaningful and new life? That maybe you could be born from above, born anew, born again. It's what happened to Nicodemus. He was willing to say, how could it be with an open mind to question and learn? So secondly, when I look at Nicodemus, what I see is a man who is committed to a lifetime of learning. He came at night to see Jesus. And we know that he came at night to see Jesus because he didn't want other people to see him. But we know he also came at night because that's symbolic that he came in the dark. And I think theologically John was trying to say to us, Nicodemus was in the dark. He didn't understand His perception and his vision was not what it could be. So he came in the dark. And it would be through Jesus that he would come to see a new reality. To envision the world and his life in a different way. He was about a lifetime of learning. He was a man who was a Pharisee, well trained. He was a man of power in the Sanhedrin. But he came. How many other Pharisees do you see coming to Jesus at night? Nicodemus took the responsibility as a learned man to want to still learn and question and grow. A lifetime of learning. Like I said, when we went up to Colorado with the family, we all wanted to ski. The very first day we had the guys go ski early in the morning and then the ladies stayed at home and took care of the six grandkids. But in the afternoon, the ladies went and skied and the guys stayed home and took care of the six kids. But on the next day, Marsh and I wanted to give our children a gift. And so we said, those grandkids who are 5 to 10, all four of those, they can go into ski school. And it turned out that they loved it. All four had a ball in ski school. And then we said the two adults, the two couples, each could go off and go ski and just be by themselves. Have fun out skiing, playing in the snow. And we would stay home because there still were two grandkids left those two under two who couldn't go to ski school and we said we'll stay home and we'll take care of the children and so they all went off to go ski and and Marsh and I were home then with Cameron and with Millie well she was taking care of Cameron in one room and I, I had Millie off in the other room and and we were playing and having a good time Millie is Kelly's youngest and I, I finally said you want to read a book and, oh yes We climbed up on the bed and she got onto her stomach and she had her little chin resting on her hands and I opened up the book and I would read the book and then I'd point at things and say, now what color is that? Now what is that animal? 
What sound does that animal make? I mean, I want to read to her. I want her to understand and be smart and learn and grow. What I started noticing was every night when the kids were put to bed, these parents, these four parents were great. They read a book to their child every night. Sometimes two, sometimes three. Read a book every night. The kids go into bed. Why? We want them to be smart. We want them to grow and to learn. We expect them to go to school and do well. We expect them to graduate high school and go to college and do well. But isn't it interesting? It's not at all strange to say, a two-year-old, you're trying to help read a book. Or you expect people to go to school and learn. But when you graduate from college, what do we think about learning then? I came across a fascinating study that said the average American reads three-fourths of one book a year. Three-fourths of one book a year. It's not strange at all to read to the two-year-old. We expect you to go to school and read, and then we graduate and we stop learning. It's why so often I meet so many people who have a, a theology of a third grader. You went to Sunday school, you got exposed to some basic truths, and then you learned things about God and the church through movies and television and cultural sayings, and you think you have an understanding of God. And it really is based on something you learned as a child so long ago. Are you willing to have a lifetime of learning and growing? Now, that, that's why we started Wednesday Night Alive more than 20 years ago here. We started Wednesday Night Alive so that we could say, here's an opportunity. All kinds of different subjects. You could grow. You could study. You could learn. Come, do something for the first time. Challenge your thinking. Examine your life and your beliefs. Because God may have a message for you about your life if you're open to hear and have a lifetime of learning as an adult. It's why we have Threefold, our bookstore. We open it because we wanted to have materials to put into your hands available easily to say, read, think, grow. It doesn't stop at a two-year-old or a 20-year-old. It goes on all your life. I came across a fascinating story of a man named Kamani um, Maruge. Kamani Maruge. It turned out that he was born and raised in Kenya born back around 1920. He was the oldest of seven. He had to work all his life to help provide for the family. Never had a chance to go to school. Never learned to read nor write. He was part of the revolution in 1950 to throw off the British and their rule over Kenya then. He'd seen so much bloodshed and killing and struggles and poverty. But he had finally gotten married. He had a number of children. But in 2003, he was 84 years old. And it was that year that Kenya passed a law that said, we're going to make primary school free for all children in Kenya. We want all children who are in first grade through eighth grade to be able to go to school free because you'd always had to pay to go. And they knew tons of kids were going to turn out because when you suddenly made it available, well, you had six-year-olds and eight-year-olds and ten-year-olds showing up for the first grade because they'd never had that chance to go to school and learn to read and write. Well, it just so happened when they finally opened the schools and said, all right, you can come, Kamani showed up. And he said, I want to learn how to read. And the teacher said, 
you can't come to school. He goes, yes, I want to come to school. You're 84 years old. You can't come to school. Wouldn't let him in. He got to thinking about it and he thought, maybe it's because I don't look like the kids and how they're dressed. And so he went and he got himself some new clothes and he got him socks that came up to his knees and shorts and a blue shirt to look like the rest of the children and showed up again. And they said, no, you can't come to school. Four times he showed up. Every time they said no, but he kept coming. And finally the teacher was so impressed she said, okay. And so come on, he came in at 84 and sat down with the, the first graders to learn his lessons. Now, not everybody was excited about that. There were other adults who said, you're an old man. You don't need to learn how to read. Classes are already jammed, and now you're making them even more packed. They threw stones at him. Some people cursed him. But come on, he kept going to school. He was always early, the teacher said. He always did his assignments. So respectful of the teachers and the children. And the children loved him. In fact, the next year after he'd been in school for one year, the kids voted him number one schoolboy. It was in 2005 that an organization was trying to encourage all countries to offer free education to children. And they had heard about Kamani, and so they came to him and they flew him from Kenya to New York to go to the UN. It was the first time in his life he'd ever been on an airplane. He flew to the UN and here dressed all these delegates from countries around the world. And basically what he said to them was, you are never too young nor too old to learn. Came back home, kept on studying. You know, the fascinating thing is that the British, who he had helped to overthrow, heard about his story and they came and they made a movie of his life. And they entitled it, The First Grader. He kept on working. And people asked him, why are you wanting to learn how to read at 86, at 87? And he said, well, first of all, I want to learn how to read because my children and grandchildren write me letters. I want to be able to read what they say. But also I want to learn how to read so I'll know what the government is saying. And I want to learn how to read and write and count because there's times in business that I think I've been taken because they knew I didn't know how to read nor write. But the number one reason he said I want to learn how to read it's so I can read the Bible. You see, Kamani had gone to church all of his life. But he said, I never could read the Bible. And so I always had to let other people tell me what I should think and believe. And I wanted to read God's Word for myself and let God speak to my heart. And so he learned to read. When he was 89 years old, he was baptized, baptized in Holy Trinity Catholic Church there in his town. But it was also at 89 when he developed stomach cancer, and that year he would die. He would complete the fifth grade. When he got so sick he couldn't go to school, his teachers had fallen so in love with him, they started coming to the house to continue to help him to learn. Because even though Kamani was dying, he said... You may not finish or something, but it is still worth doing. It's about a lifetime of learning. It's about being willing to say, how can this be? Being willing to question with an open mind. 
that if you and I took seriously that we're going to look at the things that we think, we're going to look at the things we do in the light of God's love and grace, I bet God may have a new truth for us. And He might lead us into a new life so that you think and you do something for the first time. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.